The Reading the Forest podcast, Poetry Now. Episode 3, Stuart Carswell. He's now an established part of the poetry scene in Cambridgeshire, where he lives. But his native Forestadine is never far from his thoughts, and its landscape and places feature in many of the poems in his brand new collection, Earthworks. I caught up with Stuart on one of his frequent visits to the forest to ask him all about it. I get the impression from the poems, if if nothing else, that you're you're a regular visitor to the forest and Y Valley and sort of area. Yeah, that's right. Um, my parents still live um, sort of on the edge of the forest in Long Hope. Um, I come back regularly um, to the forest. It, there's there's just sort of nowhere else like it. I think it's the kind of place where once you have lived there and once you've experienced it, it it sort of never lets you go, and you do you have to sort of keep coming back to it. I always think of it as a long piece of elastic that <laughs> eventually it'll twang and pull you back again. Yeah, very different sort of landscape to where you live now in in Cambridgeshire. Yeah, definitely. I think that is why I do come back because. It's not like the place that I live in, but it's the place that I may want to live in. You know, I find a much deeper connection with the forest landscape than I do with the sort of flat Fenland landscape of Cambridgeshire. So this collection, your latest collection, the poems are all of a, a sort of piece. They all work, work together. If you can just explain to people who haven't come across it yet what the kind of theme is about for those poems. Yeah, um, so the book is called Earthworks and it is very much about our relationship with the earth um, in terms of the sort of history and what has been there before and also how that influences how we live now um, in terms of um, sort of family life or bigger sort of political events as well. Um, so the landscapes that I'm drawing on, a lot of them are uh, from the forest. Um, there's places like uh, St. Anthony's Well is mentioned in there, for example, um, but also other sort of iconic earthworks across Britain, such as Sutton Hoo, the sort of Saxon burial site in Suffolk, and Office Dyke appears in the book as well. And the, you've got a very interesting quote that right at the front of the book. Uh, and uh, so tell us about that, because that really sets up, I think, doesn't it? The whole whole kind of drive of the collection. Yeah. So um, the epigraph is, is from a, a novel by Martin McInnes called Infinite Ground. I was reading the novel just after putting the manuscript together. And that quote just sort of jumped out at me because it it just seems to encapsulate everything that I'm writing about. It's about how we connect with the landscape and what it means to us and what we mean to it as well. It's about leaving a, a mark in the land is, is kind of ultimate proof that we've existed. And there, there is a sense, isn't there, that, that um, when you look at historical monuments, it makes you realise how, how kind of relatively insignificant we are when you think of that long reach of history. But as he says, it's proof that, that you've been, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, some of the, the earthworks, they are like over a thousand years old or so. And if we think about like our own lives, I mean, when's the last time that I did something which is going to be seen in a thousand years' time? To create something which lasts that long is um, a sort of great testament to people's skill and engineering and, you know, 
to be able to engineer something from the earth which lasts that long is quite an achievement. The poems are really about people and place, would you say? Yeah, definitely. I think it's very much about people's relationships with landscape and with nature. It's not just about looking at nature and thinking, oh, isn't that beautiful? It's about thinking about how we have influenced that natural landscape to a certain extent or how people who have been before us have been influenced by it or inspired by it. Um, so in particular, like the Roman temple at Little Dean, for example, that was built there because there was a spring there and you, you've got this amazing view of the River Severn from there as well. How much do you think, for you, the forest is a place about that history of people as much as it is about the, about the, the environment and the landscape? One of the things I like about the forest is that there is a lot of industry sort of just hidden out in the woods. You can go for a walk in the forest and you'll there'll always be something to discover. It you know, it'll be like a log mine shaft or an old bit of um railway track bed. And these are things that have been have been built. You know, that they are things that people who have come before us or, you know, sometimes with mining it's people who are still here that have they have done this to the landscape they've they've worked it in this way Silver Turn Little Dean A trace of a temple an outline of a religion emerging through the scraped back layers of brushed earth a square courtyard stone walled and fountain fed an alcove for a nymph In the latest trench Dark soil gives way to buried metal glinting at the edge of the forest. A silver talk, a thousand years untouched, an almost loop like a thumb and a finger of a god holding on around your wrist. And here it is, the twisting silver River Severn flat on the dark veil plain below that hilltop temple. That same talk, magnified across open ground, broad when the current surging strong, or a delicate line at low tide. And if I wear this meander around my home, I know my home is safe and guarded on the land under the eye of a spirit, shielded by the arc of water, at turns gold and silver, at turns of earth and tide. Thanks very much, Stuart. Um, how do you, how do you poets go about creating these these magical things which are poems how how did you go about writing that one i think with a lot of my poems it starts off by visiting the place um so this one it is sort of focused on the roman temple at little dean uh, which i visited a few years ago as part of it was the heritage open weekends um it's open sort of periodically um for that um and then and then you visit a place and then it's thinking about it afterwards. The the best places sort of stick with you and you do think about them and revisit them in your head afterwards and then eventually you kind of draw on other bits, like other experiences or other images and slowly feed them back into the into the poem and try and make connections between that place you've just visited and something else. Um, So in this poem, for example, I'm sort of thinking about the temple, but also the wider landscape around it, particularly the view across to the River Severn and the history of the place as well. 
how hard do you work at the construction of a poem? Does it does it come quite naturally, or do you kind of work at it? I know uh, another poet talks about working at it like a puzzle. How, how do you approach that side of it, the form? Um, so my poems do go through a number of drafts. Um, I don't know if I change the the layout of it that much. It tends to. I think a poem just kind of finds its own shape on the page. Um, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you just have to let the poem be what it's going to be and just see where which bits kind of form natural sections together. How, how much is your approach to poetry or your do you think your, your style of writing or the subject matter, how, how much do you think it's developed from this collection since the last one, Knots and Branches? Is it... Do you feel you've you've changed in any way? I feel that the the scope of the poems is a little bit bigger in Earthworks compared with Knots and Branches. Um, Knots and Branches felt like it was other much smaller, almost sort of insular. It was more about, I guess, connections on like a sort of family level or like a sort of friendship kind of level, whereas Earthworks is drawing bigger connections, you know, um, connecting other places in Britain or connecting with the past, you know, the sort of distant past. How do you go about assembling a collection like this? Because they're divided into three, it's divided into three sections. How do you kind of order it? And um, I mean, even to what poem goes first and what goes last, how do you approach that? Yeah, the way I approached it was just by looking at all the poems and spreading them out on the floor and just seeing which ones sort of fit together and then just creating like little runs of poems like three or four which go in sequence i did try a couple of times before i ended up with this manuscript to put a collection together but i felt that i didn't have enough poems that were on a certain theme it felt like there were a couple of big poems and i needed others that that complemented that one so I, I put together a few sort of draft manuscripts and then went off and wrote some more poems once I could see where the gaps in the writing were. And then, you know, once I'd written those poems, it would go back and have another go at putting a manuscript together. You, you have a day job as well, but I know you're very involved in, in the activities associated with being a poet. So you're, you're not just going out and writing and coming home, putting your collection together and quietly launching it out into the world. There's much more going on in your kind of poetry career, is that right? What does a contemporary poet do these days besides writing? Yeah, so one of the things I'm involved with is um, running a spoken word open mic night in Cambridgeshire called Fenspeak. I think with poetry, there is very much a sense of kind of community among poets. You know, poets like to Poets do spend a lot of time on their own writing and it is quite nice to get out and to meet other people, other poets who have been writing as well. And open mic nights are a really good way of doing that because uh, you get to meet people and you get to hear their poems and it's good for the people involved as well because they can, it might, for some people it's their first time of performing on stage behind a microphone. It's good to encourage people from the sort of very beginning um, just to be able to see other people reading their poems, people who have a bit more experience, and then they can be inspired by the, those fellow poets in their community. So how important is that for you, that performance element of, of poetry? 
I, I started performing poems through open mic nights. That was how I developed as a performer. Um, I think that performance is quite important for a poem. I mean, there is a lot of discussion in poetry about um, the page and stage divide, it's called. Um, and I don't really see that as being a divide. I think there should be just poetry and it should work on the page. You know, someone should be able to read it off a page and it looks good on the page. But then you also, when that poet reads it on stage, it should also sound good as well. It should be a poem that can be performed, that can be given life into it, a poem that sounds good. So I feel, I feel that performance is very important. It's very much core to the poem working, is that it has to sound good on the stage. Sleepers A curtain of ferns spreads at eye height to a child and parts from the push of a hand to expose the shrinking clearing and the treasure at its centre. An ancient sleeper, laying like a sunken casket and shrouded by a puzzle of oak leaves. The specimen ornamented with metalware, rusted plates and bolts, brooches carried by the dead to the next station of life. Close the curtains, change the scene. A figure stands at the end of the platform, his face masked by a flag. Steam spirals around him, a spire above rows of sleepers. There is one line drawn from childhood through junctions to connections, and the destination is close to definition. I feel the platform vibrate from something about to begin. The figure sounds his whistle, his flag drops and it is my face unmasked, and it's time to leave this dream, and I see it now. The track bed has lost its track and I have lost track of time. I get up to check my phone, but there's no signal, and my daughter is asleep, habitually dreaming of a better life to travel in. And I see it now. The ancient sleeper is a relic, an inherited burden, Second-hand history. I step outside, and the first engine of the day sets out light, and I see it now. I know what to do. That's a, another fantastic poem. Thank you, Stuart. Are you already starting to think about the next collection? I guess you're carrying on writing. Um, what, what are you sort of working on at the moment? Yeah, so I have, um, I have started a new batch of poems, um, if you think of earthworks as being bigger than knots and branches, the next one will be sort of bigger in scope than this. It, it's looking at connections on more of like a global, perhaps almost universal scale. It's more, um, it's more about humanity and how that connects with the planet that we're living on and to a certain extent what we're doing to the place that we're living in. So my writing is sort of becoming a little bit more ecological a little bit more political focused. Well, thank you very much, Stuart. Eagerly looking forward to that collection when it comes out. And, and thanks very much for talking to us today. Thanks, Jason. Many thanks to Stuart Carswell for talking to us about his latest collection of poems. Earthworks is published by Indigo Dreams and available from most booksellers online. You can hear the other episodes in our series of the Read in the Forest podcast, Poetry Now, on Spotify, Anchor and Apple Podcasts, or even easier, just go to readingtheforest.co.uk 
choose the podcast page and simply click play. And remember, you can still hear our series of literary investigations from a Spanish plot to burn the forest to bear killings and forest ghosts. Check out the Reading the Forest podcast, the stories behind the stories. The Reading the Forest podcast, Poetry Now, is a Reading the Forest production for Forester's Forest with the support of the National Lottery Heritage Fund and the University of Gloucestershire. It was presented by Dr Jason Griffiths.